1: I think it's funny I rap you know sometimes like my raps are about having Peter Pan syndrome. My raps are about being a foster child. My raps are about scratching myself so much that my eczema bleeds because I used to have panic nervosa and I would mutilate my my body. You know like really adolescent things that's more than just coming out of the mud or like working for my mom's house. You know what I mean? Like I, I get into these really really unique in about vulnerability and things that rappers are not supposed to share and shouldn't share and wouldn't share. Um, so that's why I always I think I, it's funny that I rap because I'm overly honest and overly funny and o- overly vulnerable and overly emotional, you know, and like things like that. So I always find it funny that I rap. I'm a big softy. i got a heart of gold. I'm a big griff do a hufflepuff. You know what I mean? Like, like I got a lot of, I got a lot of sweet energy. I'm a sweetheart. And and rap, you know, like, not to say that there's a lot of like me in this world and in this business, and a lot of people I relate to, but the forefront of it, it's like if we're in a cafeteria, we're we're the alphas there at the popular table. I'm not, I don't sit there. Um, (laughs) So I think it's funny that I rap. I'm definitely with the art freaks.
0: On Princess Nokia's hit song, Sugar Honey Iced Tea, she says, I think it's funny I rap. Which she says because she's not necessarily the person you'd expect to find in hip-hop. She grew up in the streets of New York, but she wasn't obsessed with rhyming like so many MCs are. She dealt with abuse and trauma as a kid, and we're going to get into that. She found herself in the ballroom scene, and we'll talk about that. And now she says she's a clairvoyant, Oh, and we're definitely going to dig into that. Noki is a fascinating person and a dope MC who put out two albums this year everything is beautiful and everything sucks i love this conversation you can get half of this dope talk for free for the other half go to patreon and subscribe at patreon.com slash o n p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash show. and for just five dollars a month you'll get the second half of this app the whole app along with access to awesome Friday exclusives I've done with Malcolm Gladwell, Little Yachty, Joy Bryant, Sheila E., Jasmine Ward, ZZ Packer, and more that you can only get if you subscribe at Patreon. If you can support our team at patreon.com slash show, we will be super grateful. In the meantime, let's go. It's Princess Nokia on Torre Show. How much is the virus and the current situation that's going on affecting your career? Like, you know, how has it put a dent in, you know, it put a dent in everybody's life. How is it affecting you as an artist and uh, your work?
1: It's been pretty detrimental to my tour schedule, um, more than anything, because I was on tour while um, the travel bans and the really, really imminent. Um, pandemic be like really began. So yeah, it's just been made, it's made work a little difficult for traveling and for touring, which is like a big part of my work repertoire. But, um, I think that that's what it hit the most. Other than that, I've still been able to do other important work stuff from home, um, with my team and stuff. So it's kind of like 50, 50 for me.
0: I mean, it could be another year before you are able to tour again, a year and a half. I mean, like, what do you, you know, what what does that do to your life and your your work, your work life? It certainly,
1: uh, it just causes a big ass dent in my in in my work well. And what it does is that it um, it temporarily like delays, you know, the influx of my incoming whatever and all of that, that stuff. But um, I'm, 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 to be honest with you, I, I'm not trying to think negatively like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think about how people are going to have to adjust. I mean, you know, I really love your music and just even the sound of your voice is really interesting and sort of delicious to me, almost like, you know, Q-tip, like anything that he would say would be like, that sounds so interesting. And like, you kind of have one of those sort of voices, like, do you like the sound of your voice?
1: I I I I didn't when I was really young, and then I I I like it now. And then um, I spent my whole life. I spent a really long time thinking I had a normal voice, and then I didn't realize that I spoke in different. I had different ways of speaking. It didn't. It didn't occur to me. I no one. I only got it got out of my attention when I when I became musician um so i don't mind it i i kind of really like the i have like a really nasally kind of nerdy kind of like um high pitched tone sometimes and i i actually favorite my favorite voice of mine
0: (laughs) your nasal voice is your favorite voice
1: yes yes
0: because when you start you know, performing and they tell you, you know, come from the diaphragm and bring it up from deep and people who have a really nice sound that is nasal to maintain that you got to push past all the, the, the gatekeepers and the teachers who are like, no, come from down deep. And you have the ability to do that. But like, you were like, no, no, I like it up here.
1: I never even thought of that. Actually, <laughs> I've never worked with a professional, um, Uh, I I don't work with with sound people, so I've never, truthfully speaking and candidly, I've never uh, ever given a thought of training my voice in that way.
0: What do you love about emceeing?
1: Um, I love, my favorite thing about emceeing is this really comedic pocket of being like a a bad poet, I guess. Um, Like emceeing for me is... I just love, I don't know, there's something really kinetic about um, being a, a, a rhyme master. And for me, I'm seeing is, was the, was a medium and a way for me to take my otherwise awkward and kind of like, I have like um. ADHD and and I and I when I talk it's really frantic it's all over the place um when I interact with people it's it's it, it could be a certain way um sometimes I didn't feel comfortable in a lot of places or feel comfortable with myself and emceeing was the way for me to be the coolest version of myself the jazziest version of myself and the most in control version of myself so emceeing helped me slow down um, my thoughts and my feelings, and help me uh, traject that musically and poetically in a really healthy and cool way. Whereas Destiny um, is like a nerdy person that sometimes doesn't know what to say or sometimes says too much. Or, um, you know, when I emcee, is hey, how you doing? My name is Ms. Spaghetti. I put my period good inside my man's spaghetti. No, just kidding. <laughs> Um, it's just, it just—it was this really special place for me to be able to express myself in like um, a way that was better for me, and that's why I love them seeing because it just I get to be in this really—it's like hip hop and jazz put together, and those are like my two, those are my two comfort zones and. When I'm in that zone, I can just mc and 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 get my get these really strong points about my identity or what I believe in across, you know, I guess that's my favorite thing.
0: So when you were first sort of emerging in into hip hop like as a teenager, did it did it appear like that's a place where I can find liberation and freedom and be whoever I want to be, or was it like this is a place where I could find strength and power and escape, you know, whatever's going on at home?
1: Um yeah, I think that MCing for me was difficult and then it became the most liberating thing for me. Because at first I thought I had to approach MCing in a very linear, right brain, masculine way. And that was very difficult for me, because um, I grew up loving a lot of other types of music other than hip hop, and I didn't grow up being this like um, dedicated hip hop head. That wasn't my mm, basis or reason why I wanted to um, MC. I think I I I think that fuck I, fuck, I I'm trying to like connect the dots. Um, at first, it was really difficult for me because I, I didn't stick to that like standard hip hop kind of format of freestyling and being able to repeat all the, you know, the lyrics of all the greats and all that kind of stuff. I just, I'm, I, I'm not good at that stuff. Um, what was, what worked for me was kind of my emceeing being imperfect. And that's when I found my voice and my sound. And when I stepped away from the idea that it doesn't have to be linear or perfect or rehearsed, um, or excuse me, unrehearsed, then I just got to breathe a little bit and it became an uh, open floodgate for me. And I realized you could do, if anything, with emceeing, with, with poetry and with rapping, um, that you chose, as long as you knew how to create it in your own, st- in your own style, I
0: guess. I mean, you, you seem very comfortable in the pocket in the song, in the rhythm, in hip hop. Um and then you say things like like on Sugar Honey Ice Tea you say I think it's funny I rap. And I wonder like what that means and you're kind of explaining what that means, but like what does that really mean?
1: I think I think it's funny I rap. Um I think that comes from like uh the, I think it's funny I rap like um sometimes I feel really out of place with my colleagues, I guess. Um, or sometimes I feel out of place in the rap world. I like all oh, my whole life. Um, I think it's funny I rap. Like, you know, I guess lyrics are a little different. And okay, like it was like I was having a conversation the other day with someone. They say, "Why do you feel out of place?" I said, "I don't feel out of place anymore. I think I came to a really mature understanding that I think that me, as opposed to different people that rap, I think I grew up into really different things. So my interests and my hobbies and my pastime." it's just very different and that shows a lot with how I make music and where I make music and what I make music for and all of those things so it's just like I think it's funny I rap you know sometimes like my raps are about having Peter Pan syndrome my raps are about being a foster child my raps are about um, scratching myself so much uh, that my eczema bleeds because I used to have um, panic nervosa and I um, would mutilate my my body, you know, like really adolescent things that's more than just coming out of the mud or like working for my mom's house, you know what I mean? Like I, I get into these really, really unique in your secrecies about vulnerability and, um, and things that rappers are not supposed to share and shouldn't share and wouldn't share. Um, so that's why I always I think I, it's funny that I rap because I'm overly honest and overly you know funny and o- overly vulnerable and overly emotional, you know, and like things like that. So I always find it funny that I rap. I'm a big heart I'm a big softy. I got a heart to go, I'm a big griff into a huffle you know what I mean? Like, like I got a lot of I got a lot of sweet energy. I'm a sweetheart. And, and rap you know like not to say that my there's a lot of like me in this world and in this business and a lot of people I relate to but the forefront of it it's like if we're in a cafeteria we're the alphas they at the popular table I'm not I don't sit there um <laughs> so I think it's funny that I rap I'm definitely with the art freaks you know <laughs> and um I, I love pointing that out I'm really comfortable with that you know a lot of people always tell me oh you're underrated appreciated and I just think well, that comes with the territory of being an underdog, and that's fine. And I think it's, like, it's funny that I rap, you know.
0: We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight.
1: influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katie Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the 1st. Elizabeth the 1st, the podcast wherever you listen.
0: If you love Torre show and you miss the days of me talking about politics on MSNBC, and really, who doesn't? Then check out my other podcast, Democracy-ish, where I sit with Danielle Moody Mills and argue and strategize about the 2020 race from a black and progressive perspective.
1: This pandemic requires you to have a level of compassion that I don't believe that white people in America have ever had, right?
0: Right. You can find Democracy-ish wherever podcasts are streamed, All right, back to Torrey show. I mean, you know, I totally know what you mean about, you know, I'm not at the cool kids table. I'm with the art freaks table. But in a moment when Kanye is one of the biggest rappers, when Travis Scott is one of the biggest rappers, right? Kid Cudi's had two hot songs in the last couple of weeks. Um, The art freaks Mm -hmm. are definitely at the forefront and beloved and getting a ton of attention and you know it's not just the thugs who are running things and the sexy girls who are running things but also the the art freaks are hot
1: the art freaks are definitely hot um we 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 have a niche and uh sometimes and like it's just like a season sometimes we have a really hot season and we come in really fun And our our work is really appreciated and it speaks to a lot of people because there's a lot of people just like us, you know, it's not, it's not like, and I don't ever say like, Oh, I, I'm this obscure person. There's only one person like me. No, I always say like, there's a lot of people like me. I'm just speaking from that perspective and I'm hyper stylizing it. I'm really good at that. That's why I guess it comes from, I feel like people who deal with the most in mental health, uh, mental illness or sadness like myself, which I've always been open about. um, We use comedy as this, uh, form of safety and expression and I'm just always making fun of myself and I always say that that's like the basis of my music me just pointing fun of myself
0: and you talk about um being a foster kid and having like you know a, a rough childhood before you sort of you know sort of found yourself um I mean can you tell the folks who may not know all that like you know where did you come from and what happened
1: um well so my my mama she was sick um my mama was sick before she even got pregnant with me, and um, it was very advisable that my mama was going to most likely pass away if she had had a full-time birth. Um, but she, my, my mom was a really selfless person and made a decision at the age of 25 to have me and to give me life. And she basically sacrificed her life to give me a life, which is like... Mm most wonderful and beautiful um, thing that I, I know. And I, when, when people talk about like, sacrifices their parents have made for them, um, I really understand that meaning. And um, uh, unfortunately, so my mama died when I was two. And then I lived with my grandma. Um, and then she unfortunately died by the age of eight. So my first two guardians um, that I lived with passed away and my father wasn't in the position to take care of me so uh before the age of eight I had not just one but I was orphaned twice um sadly and then this woman that I knew she She took custody of me and became my full-time guardian, my foster parent, and then my adoptive parent. And I lived with her for eight years. And unbeknownst to me, I've known this person my whole life. They were a big part of my life, and I was very close with them. Um, And then it was like night and day. The moment my grandmother died... uh, I seen a switch in this person in their behavior, in the way they treated me, and I won't get too graphic or too detailed. But unfortunately, it became a real um, family domestic violence situation where I was inundated with a lot of physical, emotional, psychological abuse, and um, I had a I I'd. I'd almost instantaneously identified it when it was going on. Um, and a woman was manipulating me and telling me to lie and hide it, um, as abusers do. And I was hiding it in, uh, Lying about it for a very long time, but I have full documentation that it was going on because I have all of my diaries from when I was about seven years old. So I knew that I was in a very uncomfortable situation, and it was I just I just really knew it was not normal for me. Like I just knew it. I was very aware of it. I'd always also known that my foster parent was a victim of abuse themselves, and um, the conversation of understanding abuse was that abuse people abuse people and I just I just really knew that like by the time I became 15 it was a lot for me it was just it hadn't changed it was just getting worse and it was just I felt so alone and so taken advantage of and so empty for such a long time I became really fed up with it and I really made the mature decision, and the under—I came to an understanding that if I ever wanted to be happy, or ever wanted to live a normal life, or pursue mm-hmm. the things that I wanted to pursue in life without being hassled or or emotionally tortured, which is what I always felt, I had to get out of there. And I tried getting out when I was fifteen; that didn't work. Actually, she uh, she made her made it her business to get me back in home. And in 16, I was like, this is it. Like, I have the courage. Like, I'm sitting on the courage to really fucking leave. And then I did. Um, We got into our last fight. And Alejo put her hands on me for the last time. And for the first time, very courageously, I fought back. And she was very surprised and shocked. And she was fighting me because I was fighting back. And I was defending myself. And in that question where she asked me, Like, who do you think you are? Like, what do you, like, you know, and it was, I made a very, very brave decision to say vocally um, that I'm supposed to respect you. I'm not supposed to fear you. And I feared you my whole life. And I had, you know, like the way that people in power, they use these tactics to enslave or manipulate or abuse people. I had unraveled that whole thread. And I had bested her at her game, like a, a young girl. And I had realized all the psychological tricks and things that she had done to manipulate me and to, um, and to oppress me. And I said, this ain't gonna work anymore. I'm hip to your shit and I'm not for it anymore. And I, took, and I just made a decision and I ran away and I didn't come back. And I said to my dad that we just, you know, I made the decision, I made the conscious decision as a 16 year old person I, I know a lot of people who are adults who still can't make these decisions for their environments but for me it just I, I felt like I was gonna kill myself I really did I felt like this was the worst person that I knew she was a terrible person she did nothing um but, but put me down and I just was like a light really flicked on and I felt like God was talking to me I really did and I um, I just I just decided to free myself it was the best decision I ever made. August 2nd, 2008, 12 years ago, I left foster care and I started living for myself and it was the most liberating thing I ever did. And I'm really happy I did it. And I'm really happy I got to share with you that story I never really shared that story in detail like that. Um, but a lot of people wonder about my life and because I'm all over the place and that is what happened.
0: Wow. Thank you. How does the trauma that you went through continue to affect you?
1: Hmm. Well, it's, I think there's a lot of stuff that has to do with the matriarchal part of what I was raised by. And I always find myself very, because everything, I, I, I've, I've healed from this so much in a way where I was continuously aware and learning from the situation. So I have had a lot of years to heal and I can tell you this from like a post healer's perspective. I'm not in a traumatized place anymore. Um, I think that that trauma between the ages of 16 and 21 was really hard for me because I was basically uncovering a lot of subconscious experiences that I put back in my mind. Um, I was uncovering the fact that this had happened and that I had allowed it to happen and that this was real. Like the stuff that I was hiding from my friends or lying about or uh, making it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal, that all came back to me. And I had to process that. I had to process that I was a victim. I never knew that. I never, it never really, you know, one time a boyfriend asked me, um, who have been abused, and I thought abu- victims of abuse were just sexually. I said no, and then a few years later, I was like, Oh, I I should have said yeah, because you know, you think about stuff and you do therapy, you do healing, you realize that you are in that window. And then, you know, all these things about growing up and being unloved and neglected, and you know, that you, that's emotional, you gotta, gotta come to grips with that. I came to grips with that, and all that stuff. For me, I think now as an adult, my trauma is. Realizing that uh, I took after, I take after a lot of a person that I don't particularly care for and, and think is a great person. You know, it's like it's like hard. Like all the all the really educational and culturally stimulated parts of myself come from this person because abusers are normal people as well. So my abuser was uh, a very progressive, liberal, Afro Indigenous college graduate with a six-figure job um, who taught me a lot of really formidable things about myself that you know the way I speak uh, classiness um, you know that like that like a country um, uh, rearing of being a lady and 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 speaking with others with manners and etiquette the way I do take that I've always been made fun of as a kid people go like why are you so proper why you talk like a house slave and like oh fuck like I do that because my foster mother taught me to do that she's old she's older than anybody's mom and she come from different type of, of breeding and rearing and she spoke in a different way and that's why I speak like that and you go oh fuck and I don't think there's anything wrong with the way I speak even though people kind of like poke at it and go like you're from New York why do you speak like that and it's like oh I was raised by a woman who was born in 1956 um and and then we like I think like the the You know, like, why am I so proud, prideful of my Afro-Indigenous culture? It was because of this woman. And she taught me all these things to be proud of myself and to teach me all these things. But then on the other side, this woman was telling me that I was a bitch and that I was stupid and that I was ugly and that I was um, shameful and that I was fast and that accusing me of all these things. The woman had serious bipolar. So there were some things that were great and we could share and bond with which, you know, I needed as a person who didn't have a mother figure. And then there were things that were really, really not okay.
0: What does eating healthy mean to you? From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Very inappropriate, very abusive. So me as an adult, 27-year-old Destiny, I'm like trying to distinguish what to be proud of myself Um, and, and realizing that the most formidable things about myself come from a person I don't want to give credit to. So I I find myself always just like kind of laughing at things and going, well, this is just what I have to grow from, and God bless me while I do it.
0: Mm. One of the things that you that I that I notice in your development because you you know you had a hot record when you were younger, tomboy, and you seemed to be much more of a tomboy when you were younger, and now the self presentation is extremely uh feminine is that is that about you finding yourself as a woman sort of letting that part of you come out
1: um yes but i also think yes i think that when i was younger femininity was discouraged in my household and with me um Everybody has a really wonderful coming of age of going to the nail salon with their moms and going to the hair salon with their moms and being taught how to take care of yourself and, and how to, you know, um, what's the word? Present yourself to the outside world. And I was always discouraged of that. I was discouraged of um, being attractive, actually. And I won't get too into that. So I wasn't allowed to wear makeup or get my nails done until I was 16 years old and I moved out when I was 16. So it wasn't a big thing for me. Um, and then for me, I think that I very much exist on the gender fluid spectrum um, more than I think, um, because back in my day, you were just like you would just. Androgynous, and it wasn't considered like a binary. Um, but with the education and the knowledge that we have now, um, I realized that I am very comfortable with a really large spectrum of um, feminine and masculine presentation and and in emotion. And um, I don't think that I'm more fem now uh, because I always played and presented myself with high femme presentation since I was a teenager because it was something that was unattainable for me and not natural for me. So as a, I think like it was something that I, because I didn't know how to experiment with it. And I loved the way it made me feel, made me feel powerful and sexy. And I, Use that, and I do it in a proper way now because I always looked a mess back in the day. So for me, I'm very masculine presenting when I have a very, when I have my natural curly afro and my little curly hair, and it's big, and I've got no makeup on, and a graphic t-shirt with some baggy pants. I'm like, this is like. I'm very boyish and I feel like trade and I'm like, okay, I feel, I don't feel that the same energy that I feel. And that's the, the way I feel attractive. It's not the way I feel when I have a lace front and a full beat on those energies and that power of sexy are two different things. I feel boyish and sexy. I feel like a little cute boy named Scott, who's a cancer, whose girlfriend, whose ex-girlfriend hates him. Like he's like, he flirts with everybody, but is bad at intimacy that's me. I've got, definitely have like a, a, a masked boyish personality. And then there's like sexy destiny who could be like JLo's cousin. She's a, she's a lot. She's a lot to handle. And when I see myself in her, I almost, so I'm like, Ooh, girl, that's a wild girl. Like, ah, and it, she shocks me and I love her and she's delicious and she's scary because she's so sexy and I don't know what to do with her so I think that I'm just always I'm always playing with how how exaggerative I can take something and when you see me with like a fab lace front it's like me exploring that feminine side that i'm still not even that comfortable with but feel so comfortable with i don't know if that makes sense i'm sorry
0: no it doesn't make sense and it is really beautiful and i just want to go one step further to talk about how and where does the gender fluidity show up in the work
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. oh okay yeah definitely um gender fluidity i think I think it it does show up in my work. I think that, that very masculine tomboy energy is in so, is like all everything is beautiful. If you know like I don't need to put on a lace front and a ba- a bikini to feel sexy. That that's like that's just me thinking I'm, I'm hot and I like I like I'm I feel really comfortable to look like that but I'm also very beautiful and sexy when I have like a head wrap on or when I have just no makeup on and I think that you know like on the gender spectrum I was very masculine and tomboy like and very very bisexual when I was younger um and I, I just thought girls were the greatest thing. And I, and I felt like a boy next to them. I didn't feel like them. I felt like I was always hoping, holding the door or always comforting some girl in the way that, you know, like the friend-zoned boy does, kind of, I think. Um, and though when you hear my most vulnerable self, that's definitely like my mask side, you know, with songs like Green Eggs and Ham and happy place in Washington set, or I'm just this lost little lonely child. And then there's songs like sugar, honey, iced tea. And, and I like him that are very, very um, sexy and powerful and ultra fab. And there's like a pump going on. So I grew up in a ballroom, voking spectrum and world downtown, you know, and my house my my house father, um, the people around me, Volking and Runway, really helped me become a femme. It, it took me from that awkward, insecure boy to be a gorgeous supermodel. I don't know if you understand that. If you could stay I with, do. Me.
0: I do. Yeah, I do.
1: A ballroom helped me get into character. I could get into character. It's theater, ballroom, dancing, rapping. All help me get into character with all the different parts of myself that I could all feel comfortable with. I know people from high school who still write me and say, You inspired me in high school, and you inspire me now because you're still so unapologetic. And I wanna I wanna be the very person that I am, and I'm still scared to. And I'm like, we in 2020, girl, you ain't scared to dye your hair a little pink. What the fuck? Is that how people? that I grew up with, we still think like, oh shit, well, yeah, apparently, right? Um, And I think all those sides help me let my freak flag fly so that I really wake up and how I dress and how I present myself is to the energy and the mood that I feel. And I don't think that I have like identity issues. I just think that I'm really, really in tune with myself.
0: Thanks so much to Nokia for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montez, Jason Reynolds, and Gerville Kelly. Join us over at patreon.com slash Show to get an extra episode on Friday only for Patreon subscribers. And of course, to get more from me and Nokia right now. Torrey Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Tore Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jakey Garrafano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shonda Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and next Wednesday with another amazing person because the man can't shut us down.